Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 38 of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. December 26. This evening was visited by a person under great spiritual distress. The most remarkable instance of this kind I ever saw. She was, I believe, more than fourscore years old and appeared to be much broken and very childish through age, so that it seemed impossible for man to instill into her any notions of divine things. Not so much as to give her any doctrinal instruction, because she seemed incapable of being taught. She was led by the hand into my house and appeared in extreme anguish. I asked her, what ailed her? She answered. Her heart was distressed and she feared she should never find Christ. I asked her when she began to be concerned with diverse other questions relating to her distress to all which she answered for substance to this effect, that she had heard me preach many times, but never knew anything about it, never felt it in her heart, till the last Sabbath, and then it came, she said, as if a needle had been thrust into her heart, since which time she had no rest, day nor night. She added that on the evening before Christmas, a number of Indians being together at the house where she was and discoursing about Christ, their talk pricked her heart so that she could not set up but fell down in her bed, at which time she went away, as she expressed it, and felt as if she dreamed and yet is confident she did not dream When she was thus gone, she saw two paths. One appeared very broad and crooked, and that turned to the left hand. The other appeared straight and very narrow, and that went up the hill to the right hand. She traveled, she said, for some time, up the narrow right-hand path till at length. Something seemed to obstruct her journey. She sometimes called it darkness and then described it otherwise and seemed to compare it to a block or bar. She then remembered what she had heard me say about striving to enter in at the straight gate. Although she took little notice of it at the time when she heard me discourse upon that subject and thought she would climb over this bar. But just as she was thinking of this, She came back again, as she termed it, meaning that she came to herself, whereupon her soul was extremely distressed, apprehending that she had now turned back and forsaken Christ, and that there was therefore no hope of mercy for her. As I was sensible that trances and imaginary views of things are of dangerous tendency in religion, where sought after and depended upon, 
so I could not but be much concerned about this exercise, especially at first, apprehending this might be a design of Satan to bring a blemish upon the work of God here by introducing visionary scenes, imaginary terrors, and all manner of mental disorders and delusions in the room of genuine convictions of sin and the enlightening influences of the blessed spirit. And I was almost resolved to declare that I looked upon this to be one of Satan's devices and to caution my people against this and similar similar exercises of that nature. However, I determined first to inquire into her knowledge to see whether she had any just views of things that might be the occasion of her present distressing concern, or whether it was a mere fright arising only from imaginary terrors. I asked her numerous questions respecting man's primitive and more especially his present state and respecting her own heart, which she answered rationally and to my surprise. I thought it next to impossible, if not altogether so, that a pagan, who was become a child through age, should in that state gain so much knowledge by any mere human instruction, without being remarkably enlightened by a divine influence. I then proposed to her the provision made in the gospel for the salvation of sinners and the ability and willingness of Christ to save to the uttermost all, old as well as young, that come to him. To this she seemed to give a hearty assent, but instantly replied, I, but I cannot come. My wicked heart will not come to Christ. I do not know how to come, etc. This she spoke in anguish of spirit, striking on her breast with tears in her eyes and with such earnestness in her looks as was indeed piteous and affecting. She seems to be really convinced of her sin and misery and her need of a change of heart. Her concern is abiding and constant so that nothing appears why this exercise may not have a saving issue. Indeed, there seems reason to hope such an issue, seeing she is so solicitous to obtain an interest in Christ that her heart, as she expresses it, prays day and night. How far God may make use of the imagination in awakening some persons under these and similar circumstances. I cannot pretend to determine or whether this exercise be from a divine influence. I shall leave others to judge, but this I must say that its effects hitherto bespeak it to be such, nor can it, as I see, be accounted for in any rational way, but from the influence of some spirit, either good or evil. The woman, I am sure, never heard divine things in the manner in which she now viewed them. 
and it would seem strange that she should get such a rational notion of them from the mere working of her own fancy without some superior or at least foreign aid. Yet I must say I have looked upon it as one of the glories of this work of grace among the Indians and a special evidence of its being from a divine influence that there has till now been no appearance of such things, no visionary notions, trances, and imaginations intermixed with those rational convictions of sin and solid consolations of which numbers have been made the subjects. And might I have had my desire? There had been no appearance of anything of this nature at all. December 28. Discourse to my people in the catechetical method on which I lately entered. In the improvement of my discourse, wherein I was comparing man's present with his primitive state and showing from what he had fallen and the miseries in which he is now involved and to which he is exposed in his natural estate and pressing sinners to take a view of their deplorable circumstances without Christ as also to strive that they might obtain an interest in him. The Lord, I trust, granted a remarkable influence of his blessed spirit to accompany what was spoken. And a great concern appeared in the assembly. Many were melted into tears and sobs, and the impressions made upon them seemed deep and heart-affecting. In particular, there were two or three persons who appeared to be brought to the last exercises of a preparatory work and reduced almost to extremity, being in a great measure convinced of the impossibility of their helping themselves or of mending their own hearts and seemed to be upon the point of giving up all hope in themselves and of venturing upon Christ as poor, helpless, and undone. Yet they were in distress and anguish because they saw no safety in doing so unless they could do something towards saving themselves. One of these three persons was the very aged woman above mentioned, who now appeared weary and heavy laden with a sense of her sin and misery and her perishing need of an interest in Christ. Lord's Day, December 29. Preached from John 3, 1 through 5. A number of white people were present, as is usual, upon the Sabbath. The discourse was accompanied with power and seemed to have a silent but deep and piercing influence upon the audience. Many wept and sobbed affectionately. There were some tears among the white people, as well as the Indians. Some could not refrain from crying out, though there were not many so exercised. But the impressions made upon their hearts appeared chiefly by the extraordinary earnestness of their attention and their heavy sighs and tears. After public worship, 
was over, I went to my house, proposing to preach again after a short season of intermission. But they soon came in, one after another, with tears in their eyes to know what they should do to be saved. The Divine Spirit, in such a manner, set home upon their hearts what I spake to them, that the house was soon filled with cries and groans. They all flocked together upon this occasion, and those whom I had reason to think in a Christless state were almost universally seized with concern for their souls. It was an amazing season of power among them, and seemed as if God had bowed the heavens and come down. So astonishingly prevalent was the operation upon old as well as young, that it seemed as if none would be left in a secure and natural state, but that God was now about to convert all the world. I was ready to think then that I should never again despair of the conversion of any man or woman living, be they who or what they would. This concludes episode 38 of Jonathan Edwards, The Life of David Brainerd.